this time of year we think of Jesus coming from heaven to earth to connect with us. We're going to think about the ways in which we connect with God and how God wants us to connect with each other. And so we come to the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians and we read the concluding verses from Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. Simply says, Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We live in an increasingly connected world, and the younger you are, the more connected you're likely to be. My brother and I have had an interesting time, and others, members of the family as well, trying to educate my mother into how to use an iPad that he got her to keep in touch with the rest of us. Teenagers just pick this stuff up as if it were second nature to them. This week, a poll has shown that 84% of teenagers own a smartphone. 78% of them have a laptop. 51% a tablet device. Facebook, YouTube and Twitter come in as the top three apps being used, and they are all connecting apps. This is the first generation to grow up with an expectation that they can be in touch with each other all the time and with the ability to do so. And that has tremendous positives in terms of keeping friendships alive, in terms of people being able to support and encourage each other. They can stay up all night communicating together, which of course has its downsides. And there are the attendant dangers as well of of things like cyberbullying and sexting, sending sexually explicit or suggestive pictures of themselves to each other by phone. This year, the Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year is selfie. A word for a self-portrait sent to someone else or posted online. Some of you might not have heard of the word before this week, when the news is ablaze of President Obama taking a selfie of himself at Nelson Mandela's memorial service with a couple of other people, and people either liking the picture or saying how inappropriate that was. That's the world we live in. News is pictures of people taking pictures of themselves. It's a word that was first coined in 2002. It became popular last year, with its recorded use increasing by 17,000% in the course of 2013, exponentially more than that. Now, of course, we've had Obama's selfie in the news. And social media, of course, is one of the reasons why the post office has struggled so much in recent years. To send us letter second class these days will cost you 50p. Lots of people haven't quite caught up with that until they went out to buy their Christmas stamps this year. And you have to go outside and find a post box, for goodness sake. Pressing send on a laptop or a tablet or a mobile phone is just so much easier. Now, of course, the downside is the recipient isn't going to print off your Christmas greeting and put it in pride of place on their sideboard or hang it on the wall in the next few days. So perhaps the tradition of sending Christmas cards will endure a little bit longer. And yet, and yet writing and sending cards or letters these days is so much infinitely easier and cheaper than it was in the days of the Apostle Paul. A scholar called Randolph Richards has done a study of ancient letter writing and has concluded it was a protracted and expensive business. If you wanted to write a proper letter rather than just the equivalent of a postcard, 
you would make the use of a secretary to write on coarse papyrus with a scratchy pen and sooty ink. And if you wanted to do it properly, you would first have to make notes, you'd make a first draft to be corrected, and then there would be a careful rewrite. According to Richards, as far as Paul's letters were concerned, he would make at least two final copies, one to be sent to the recipients, the other to keep for his own personal records. Richards has calculated the cost of doing all this, and he reckons, I'm not convinced, but he reckons that Paul's longest letter, his letter to the Romans, would have cost upwards of, wait for it, £1,300 to write by the time you put in all the man hours and the, and the time and the materials involved. Weeks, if not months of time, could go into writing a letter. And then once you've written it, the thing needs to be sent. And there's no publicly available postal service in the Roman Empire. You have to give the letter to someone who says, oh, I'm going to Rome, I'll take it for you if you like. Or I'm going to Philippi, I'll post your letter for you. Or, or you had to send someone explicitly to make that journey at your own expense. In the case of his letter to Philippi, Paul was able to send this letter, this letter back with Epaphroditus, who'd come to visit him on behalf of the church. And he was now sending him back home again on a journey that it would take weeks for him to complete, bearing this letter from Paul to the Philippians. So writing and sending letters then was a massive undertaking. Now, Paul wouldn't have dreamt that all his letters would be collected and would be read and studied 2,000 years later. I, I got a, a, a book for review from Tom Wright. Actually, it's two books for review from Tom Wright on, on the faithfulness of God and Paul. 1,600 pages someone has written just on Paul's letters. There's a massive amount. Paul would, would be blown away by the knowledge that people are studying the letters he wrote in such intricate detail. But it's evidence of the esteem in which he was held that at least some of his letters were preserved. On arrival at Philippi, his letter would have been read to the congregation on a Sunday morning and then maybe circulated around different people's houses so that they could read it for themselves and maybe make their own copy of it. The arrival of a letter was a significant event. Because for Paul, sending a letter was the next best thing to being present in person. He knew and loved the congregation at Philippi. Some people have wondered why at the end of his letter he doesn't mention by name those whom he wants to greet. That may be because he knew and loved so many people there, it would have taken ages to identify them all. Though he does have a very long list of greetings at the end of his letter to the Romans. But people have wondered too, why does Paul tell them to greet each other? Or what does he say, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus? Isn't his letter in effect a greeting from him to them? Why does he say, greet all the saints? But what he wants to happen is for each individual member of the congregation to be greeted. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, he tells them. Through a handshake, or a hug, or a kiss, he wants everybody to be greeted personally. This is no just general letter to alter the church at Philippi and kind of lumps them all together. Every individual he wants to know, he sends greetings to them. And he asks every member of the church to express that greeting on his behalf to somebody else within the church. In his heart, he becomes part of that process of greeting. And there's a sense in which when they greet each other, the congregation are sharing and expressing the Paul, the love that Paul has for each individual in that fellowship. 
More than that, Paul says, actually, he's writing on behalf of the whole church. All the saints send their greetings, he says. So there's a sense in which, as individuals embrace each other, each individual is embraced by the whole church. And the whole church at Philippi is embraced by the whole wider church, and all this happens in Christ Jesus. His is the love that is shared and expressed, and by his Spirit, Christ becomes part of every greeting. Christ's love becomes the connection between people as they greet each other on a Sunday morning in response to Paul's call, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Different cultures greet people in different ways. I've observed that here in BRBC, handshakes tend to be the primary safe form of greeting. With the adventurous among you going for the occasional hug or even a kiss on the cheek. In other parts of the world, a kiss on the cheek is a fairly standard greeting, even between men. But if you have to travel, if you travel to different parts of the world, you have to get it right. How many kisses is appropriate? Is it one, two, three, four? The Copenhagen Institute has done a study of different styles of greeting in different cultures. How greetings express respect or joy or excitement or discipline or love or fun. Greetings communicate things to each other. Writing in the 4th century, Cyril of Jerusalem records that it's the practice of the church, in the church for the deacon to cry aloud, receive one another and let us kiss one another. No, that might. <laughs> but Cyril says, think not that this kiss is the same character as those given in public by common friends. It is not such. This kiss blends souls with one another and courts entire forgiveness for them. This kiss is therefore the sign that our souls are mingled together, banishes all remembrance of wrongs. For this cause, Christ said, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has anything against you, leave there your gift upon the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The kiss, therefore, is reconciliation, and for this reason holy. As the blessed Paul somewhere cried, saying, greet one another with a holy kiss, and Peter with a kiss of charity. So for Cyril, what that kiss of greeting communicates is forgiveness. It expresses unity. It is about reconciliation. And what matters is not much, so much the style of greeting we adopt as what we communicate by the greeting we give to each other. Here in church on a Sunday morning, or in the cards, letters, emails and texts and Facebook posts and whatever other forms of communication you are using to get in touch with people this Christmas time. Because if you contact somebody, you will be communicating something to them. And Paul's heart is that we should communicate Christ and his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness to each other. What do we say by our choice of Christmas card? the tone we adopt in our email communications, our willingness to make eye contact with the people that we're talking to, to give time to them. And how physically close is it, is it appropriate to be with this person? If someone else needs and values their personal space, that is something we have to respect. We are distributing Christmas invitations to the surrounding area to assure people they will be welcome at our Christmas services. So make sure they are if they come. It is the unfamiliar face that we should go out of our way to greet 
rather than playing it safe and only talking to the relatively small circle of people whose names we know. One of the defining moments in my experience as a Christian was when, as someone who'd only just started to, to follow Jesus and a fairly insecure teenager, I was encouraged, almost bullied, into paying a visit to the Friday night youth club at church. I remember stepping reluctantly and a bit anxiously through the door and pausing for a moment. And straight away, someone came up to me and introduced themselves, saying, I hate that. I hate walking into a room where you don't know anybody. Come on in and let me introduce you to some people. I can't remember what happened after that, but I do remember that was a significant step for me in terms of being welcomed and accepted and integrated into a group of other people. And it happened because of a greeting. We have people on the door here at Brighton Road. But the onus of greeting and making people welcome is, is upon every single one of us. We don't leave it to the people on duty. We all have a responsibility for making people welcome. So Paul knew exactly what he was on about when he told those Philippian Christians to greet each other. The simple truth is that if you belong to Christ, then you belong to everybody else here. And the way in which we greet each other should express the grace and the love and the unconditional acceptance that Jesus gives to everybody. And if you don't belong to Jesus, you are still most welcome here. And it's our prayer that the welcome you receive from us will express something of the welcome that is there for you in God's heart should you ever decide to become part of his family by accepting Christ as we've done. But when we greet each other, Let's make sure that our greeting says, on behalf of Jesus, you are welcome. You are accepted. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are included. You belong. However we greet each other, that's what we should be communicating as we greet each other in Jesus' name.